Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to the Hopalisk. How's everybody doing tonight? Fantastic. How are you two? Wunderbar. <laughs> tonight, we have a very special guest, Randy Moggins from Off Planet Radio, come to talk to us about the eye of the needle. What the hell's going on in our matrix? It seems to be breaking down <laughs> over the last month. Absolutely. Breaking down. It's crazy shit all around. So welcome, Randy, to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, it's uh, it's an honor to be on the obelisk on the worm moon. On the worm moon, that's right. It's always a great pleasure to speak with you, Randy. We are uh, Sans Astrologer tonight. Yes, I had, and that's my fault. I apologize to Van, Vanessa. I lined her up and then uh, the, everything got so crazy in this last two weeks. Uh, as Cunningham, that's her last name. I just remembered it. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, it's my fault. And I apologize. So she'll be on the next one. I'm sorry, Vanessa, out there. <laughs> Randy, are you going to be in chat? I'm working on that right now. I'm All trying right. to get this retarded MacBook to uh, <laughs> give me the link. You oh, got it. Yeah, you got Let it. Kill a process. I'm now a, an app murderer. So, and that's perfect. I think we should all kill apps, especially on can a Mac. Can you hear me out there? I feel like I'm talking. And can you hear me, Jerry? I can hear you just fine. Yeah, Randy, loud, loud and clear. Loud okay, and clear good. Me. Five by five, baby. <laughs> Let's see. I'll test the stream. <laughs> yeah okay so i was telling jerry and randy this before this i i get these um i call them downloads i think more new ager people call it uh, i'm not sure what they call it but they call my, them downloads I, too do they really uh, uh anyway so i usually get them at like three in the morning and it, it t i usually sleep i mean it it's comes in and Everyone that listens to me on air knows I'm pretty laser sharp with stuff and uh, follow threads and got connect and all that. But when these downloads to me are, ha oh, I hear myself. Yeah, he's there for a second. Sorry. When these downloads happen, I get sidetracked. That's why I try to lay down and just allow them to happen. But for some reason, this is highly unusual. I'm having one right now. And so I'm getting sidetracked. So I apologize ahead if I sound disjointed or a little maybe crazy because it's happening. And I can't, I have no control over them. They come when they come. So <laughs> you just said a heads come. up, everyone. You said come. <laughs> oh, Lord, let's not sink into a cruising <laughs> mistake. <laughs> we won't. Don't worry about it. So, Randy, I heard your uh, interview with Bernard. I forgot his last name again. Gunther. Gunther. On whatever podcast it was, it was fantastic. I think you were, were you on Freeman too? I was on Freeman. Um, that was actually Freeman's last show of the year. And that aired in late December, last week of December. What was with his voice in that episode? It was yeah, so he, weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I. I we'll just count it as being uh, maybe a little under the weather at the time, energetically. Oh, really? Was, you know, I, I, this is something that's going on a lot. I think a lot of us are struggling. I mean, look what you went through. 
Yeah. Um, you know, in November. And then I had um, about <clears throat> three weeks ago, had bronchial issues that put me in the hospital for two days. And I know Freeman's been struggling. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. And um, this is the thing about it. We put ourselves out there energetically. We're, we're really subject to attacks in ways that I don't think people completely understand. Oh, absolutely. We're plugged mm -hmm. into these networks um, neurally. Yeah, it, that's something I've been talking about a lot in places. And, and it's also one of the reasons why I don't like to go live on cam as well. It's just like another way to psychically get a straw in you. Yeah. Uh, I'm less and less enamored of doing cam. Um, <clears throat> the shows Emily and I do, we tend to do video, but the um, Eye of the Needle series has so far been all audio. And that's just, most of that's recorded in one sit down session. I may or may not have notes. And I just uh, kind of whip through the material that I've got, some of which is not dissimilar to what you're getting tonight, Tunish, which is the zip file that comes in. Mm -hmm. So to go back to um, to go back to Bernard Gunther interview, um, we did that. When did we do that? That was very early in the year. Yeah. Um, where we really just kind of delved into it. Every show that I do, where I'm talking about the subject is different because it's 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 a panoramic kind of visioning thing sure. that's really what the eye of the needle is and it's evolving it's evolving it's uh it began with the joke is that's actually not a joke it's true it was a hashtag that i was using on some of my twitter posts and facebook as i was kind of assembling material dating back to 2012 i <clears throat> Was it lost on me that as we went into 2019, we were seven years out on the 2012 thing. And so um, following up on that, I began to get hits on looking at shows that I did in 2012 in that period. Because, you know, when we put dates on things, we forget that, that we live in a universe that's not really a clockwork, clockwork the way we we deal with time. Um, I think I was, Emily loves this line, I the needle three when I said, nobody hates um, time and linearity more than me. And um, that's kind of true. I mean, it is, not a, it is not a linear reality. It's really, it's really stacked realities that occur in a nonlinear fashion. So the idea of I the needle was really to do what I call foreshadowing, or you might call it the prophetic voice. I, I don't, that's misunderstood when you use the word prophecy anymore, but the prophetic voice is really just the voice that speaks into um, situations, into visioning. That's really what it's all about. It goes back to this singularity, this eye of the needle thing. That's kind of the metaphor for where I saw us going beginning the gateway into 2012 which was the um, the winter solstice on 1221 and then moving forward to what i see as probably a five-year period forgot what i was gonna say now <laughs> no that's real interesting and it is and it's 
it's been a it's been a long trip since 2012 too um it seems like things have changed so much and then at the same time nothing's changed it's so weird the semblance of normality is amazing but when you start to peel back the curtain what you realize is a lot's changed yeah and you kind of look at the look at where we are look where we've been since 2016 and this is controversial uh you can put a pin in it if you want but when i started to look at 2012 as the window i began to look at what was going on in that window of time and specifically what would have been going on in the middle of this period because it, for people who don't know and most do i did radio shows years ago that were based on prophecy on biblical prophecy mm -hmm. specifically end times prophecy and obviously evolved a long way out of that in my understanding about what maybe those those mystical books are about because i i believe they're they're metaphorical i don't think yeah. you can just throw them out but you also you know the way it's been interpreted by fundamentalists especially they they've taken it literally but there's something to what is shown in there and one of them is these time periods of seven years and three and a half years the half period mm -hmm. so half of seven years three and a half years so i looked at just out of curiosity what the hell is going on in let's see 2000 2015 yeah Mm, let's say about <clears throat> mid-year and lo and behold what came up was donald trump entering the race for the u.s presidency mm -hmm. and i went hmm that's pretty interesting and so not to mention a lot of people woke up in 2015 or claimed exactly. to have yeah, me yeah. me especially that was the year that like shit got real for me for sure sorry to interrupt you there no, that's actually really important because I think a lot of people saw that as well. My own wife said that, that she realized she wasn't awake until sometime around that period, whatever that means to people. I don't think that's necessarily true. I've known you for a lot longer than that period, Jerry. And then, um, you know, it's all in degrees. Everybody's in a different place in terms of where they are in their awakening and their awareness. So... That, that, that midterm period there represents a lot of things to a lot of people, not the least of which is the fact we entered another period of time that began this schism. And it was a fracture. It was like the thin line of a crack in a pane of glass. It's eventually going to rupture the whole thing. <laughs> so I look at political leaders, entertainers, people of notoriety as sort of um transients they're, they're yeah. fixtures they're they're people who are in front of us that are reflecting back to us something about ourselves well that could be sort of a lot of reality too sure sure well i mean really on one level we're reflecting all of this reality back right onto right, right. ourselves that's another aspect of this so <laughs> And it seems lately too there's a a die off of the older generation of of those icons as well. Yeah. 
So yeah, there's there's like more a more of that. Some yeah, exactly. Stores are dropping like crazy. And yeah, old politicians are dying off, and not Henry Kissinger. <laughs> well, some say he died in '79 and was uh, replaced with a clone. I, I think some say that about everybody. They do. They do. <laughs> he's in Gitmo, and he's a clone. What do you, so, Randy? What do you? having this background and what's so funny is i uh you know as everyone knows i didn't have any religion forced at me so i don't have i don't have a christian backlash how some people do i don't i have nothing to rebel against so to me the the bible especially the all the all the books that didn't that got cast out of the canon too like the gospel of thomas the fabulous gospel of thomas uh I treat them like I do any other magical tome. And right now on my on my table is the big old 1885 or I don't know, 65, whatever version of the Catholic Bible, the what do they call it with the stricken books, the apocryphia. It's like apocryphia or something. Apocrypha. Apocrypha, yeah, Mm -hmm. where it includes Mm -hmm. a lot of those books. But I have been going over it recently in the last few days. And then today I'm talking to my friend JJ, who she, like some Matthew verse came up and one of her friends. I think a lot of people with all this stuff that's going on are looking, looking at trying to connect what's going on with noted tomes, whatever the tomes are. But because I find the I find the actual Bible interesting because I, like I said, I don't have the I have nothing bad to say about it. I've been astonished by some of the stuff I've been reading lately in it. Like absolutely mystical, magical holds up to a lot of the the tomes that all the magicians you know, talk about from the Middle Ages, and um, and and some of it's way more uh, dramatic. I got a synchro I there. I was just listening to a podcast about how the Bible is a grimoire. Yeah, I was just going to use that word to describe it. It is a grimoire. Double synchro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, the synchro bell. If you don't treat it as a singular book, which it's not, um, you begin to look at it on a different level. And the level is that this was written over a very long period of time, disputably 6,000 years, uh, however you measure that. And it was written over several epochs that go back to probably the foundations of the earth itself when you read the oldest book in the bible is the book of job which describes the fallen angels it describes this land of ice where these angels are vanquished to anyone think in antarctica um it's describing (laughs) a very different world than the world that would come later because actually enoch himself was taken up. He didn't die. You know, it said he was he was basically um, transfigured uh, into uh, a non-corporeal being, a light being, much much like um, well, Christ. much like the, the 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 prophet Elijah, and much like the Jesus figure later on. And 
that ended that era, that, that epoch, and the next epoch that came was the epoch of the flood, the great mm -hmm. flood. So the book's written over these epochs and it reflects different mindsets at different times. There are multiple gods in it. Um, reading the Old Testament, if you read it with the word God and don't understand how many different ways that's translated, especially when you go back and look at the Hebrew in it, you would consider that it's monotheistic, but it's in fact polytheistic. So we're not dealing even with, like in some cases, the same gods. I mean, these, these people are going through different stages of spiritual transformation as well to the place where they get to form of monotheism, which is basically the Mosaic era. See, this is all the stuff that, you know, I just can't, I'm not a deep diver in it. And that's why I'm all of a sudden super interested in, in, in these books and in the process of, in its overall process and arc of where, where it's been, how it transformed, what is, what are the different messages that are weaving in and out of it? And how does that play into the greater picture of all the other tomes, all the other grimoires, and then overlap that on top of where we are now with all the craziness? It's very intriguing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's it's reflecting in a lot of ways. It's reflecting back to us periods that we've passed through before in the procession of the ages, and that's kind of where the eye of the needle came from. In, in one sense, it was using where we've been in the macro microcosm of the last. You could arguably say the last 50 years because we've been in a very high level um, evolution period since the end of the Second World War, which was a demarcation line. And so the generations that started to come in post-World War II, you know, the baby boom generation specifically, came in with something different. We were like, we were kind of the harbinger of the age of Aquarius before the age of Aquarius really began. If you go back and you look at the 60s and you even look at the music, like, like the Broadway musical Hair, which was celebrating the age of Aquarius and the hippie movement. And then um, the new age movement, as much as I hate that term, uh, sort of became the bellwether for this new spiritual awakening. You had a lot of Eastern thought that migrated into Western culture. People began to talk more about their inner lives. They began to talk more about reincarnation. We were sort of transitioning away from this Westernized monotheism that was brought to us by... Um, the Spaniards. Church of Rome. Huh? This, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I would even argue that, uh, I not, wouldn't argue, I think it started in 1947. That's kind of yep. the, the year everything took off from there. Totally. The, the Second World War was, you know, this, it was the framework from which everything else sprung, including on what you would call 
the dark side, their hopes for the new world order. You know, the old order being, and we just had Michael Joseph on with Emily and I last week talking about the first thousand years of Christianity and how that was really the old world order was the movement that came out of Rome and then the Vatican, Catholicism, uh, the Protestant movement, which migrated into Europe, and then the colonial movements that came out of that, and the Industrial Revolution. So the bookmark was the implosion of Europe in World War II, the dramatic culmination of the Industrial Age and the transition into the technological era, which Brzezinski talks about in his book. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting book, too. There's some prophetic stuff in there. <laughs> yes, of course there is. <laughs> See, when people talk about prophetic, they don't understand that that actually is an act of summoning. Um, it's what I was talking about with the eye of the needle, which I view as the prophetic voice, but I see as foreshadowing, which is a way to weave into the consciousness of the time the vibratory energies necessary to move us into the next period. So from my standpoint, I get downloads much like Nisha's getting and like you get, Jerry, I call them zip packets. And the eye of the needle comes from that place where I began probing kind of remote viewing what was gonna happen out maybe five years in the future, mm -hmm. what it was gonna look like. And I, I got it. This came over a period of time, I would say beginning last summer. I was basically going through a pretty deep, sometimes dark personal period and trying to do both some internal healing and also reconciling different things and began working more with my, um, my energies. As a result of that, reactivated a lot of... Um, dream capacity that I hadn't had for a while. And also began to work more in um, my subtle body and started going out at night, um, several times went up into these grids around the earth and began to see what those were all about. That was really interesting. I also took, <laughs> here's the woo woo folks. I also took out a couple of um, implants in my energy body and wound up walking around for about two weeks seeing um, uh, ghosts, omens, specters, all kinds of shadow beings all over the place. That eventually calmed down as well. But I went through this period of just really intense spiritual upheaval uh, where I began to get a sense that the future wasn't defined. It was something we were going to fashion in our own vision, we collectively and we individually, and began to understand a little bit more about how the reality construct works inside of the matrix. And that was kind of the whole thing with these grids, was understanding that these grids were grids are really an interlaced system by, that are reflecting and moving and amplifying, much like a circuit board, all of the creative powers of the collective on this world. And that we had an enormous amount of power and that most people were in default mode. Right. 90% of the people on this planet are in default mode. They are walking through the visions of a life that was handed to them. 
they are robotic they don't really want to do the work inside and so and this is really how the control system has worked it's largely been that um these so-called whatever you want to call them the cabal the illuminati it doesn't really matter just how about the narrative the global narrative drives it just it. basically we're able to figure out look these people are asleep we we can navigate this ship by ourselves forget that we're like maybe one tenth of of one percent of the total population, if even that, everybody else is in default mode. We're now the grandmasters. And the idea of um, the idea of avatars and 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 um, messiahs and people who came as teachers, whoever you consider Krishna, Buddha, the Christ, whatever, they were the other side of that equation, which was trying to go. Now, you can make a difference. You can vision this for yourself. They were not trying to build religions. They were trying to teach people how to become, the buzzword would be sovereign. The buzzword, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's kind of a tainted word, but for all intents and purposes, to become masters of our own reality, mm -hmm. which we've defaulted as a result of a whole host of things that have gone on in life here and now and in life previous and how people have basically not only been brainwashed and wiped uh, in this world, but between lives as well. Sure. So the vision was to awaken whatever percentage, 3%, 5% of the population, which I, I think is doable, which then can re-navigate this thing back to a more reasonable mode away from the necropathy <laughs> that has run the planet for eons mm -hmm. it, the when you're when you're telling all this i'm getting this imagery of the second blade runner movie where you know it's the the girl downloading creating the memories and implanting you know everyone's memories are from a real source a real seed source but are not are not there so like the main character that thinks he is the, the thinks he he was real and you know he in the end reels I, like neo like neo yeah but where you think you're you're actually the dreamer and you're not the dreamer and when this moment of realization where it's but yet you're still this sounds it sounds contradictory but it's i don't not in my head it doesn't you realize you're not the dreamer but at the same time you're dreaming the dream too does that make sense you're like bilocated it's bi the dreamer dreaming the dream inside the dream yes it's a conundrum it's a conundrum it's a paradox it's a paradox but at the same time it creates that friction which does create that inner spark and it's the inner spark that is that that is that awakening feeling where you become lucid to your own experience to the i am within mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and then, and then I had a question about, because I did know about your history with, uh, 
I knew about your your religious stuff in the past. And I think from Nox Mente. And then just listening to you. But I as I've been looking around that tome that we're calling the Bible, I encountered the other day that I hadn't really encountered earlier several times that 144. Now I know everyone mm. knows that. Yeah. It's made the mainstream mm-hmm. as far as new age and um, and truth or community, all that. It's all over, but I hadn't encountered it in scripture. Like I knew it came from there. I just didn't see, you know, I encountered it in revelations. I don't know if it's elsewhere in the Bible. I was specifically seeing it in revelations. Uh, yeah. It is nowhere else in the Bible, that specific number. So that's where, that's the only spot it lives. Yeah, there's two places, Revelation chapters 7 and 14 are really the only two citations that specifically mention the 144,000. Yeah, and yet that has been a very potent meme in the collective. A lot of people refer back to 144 thousand or whatever souls and i'm wondering what are your thoughts on that yeah um my thoughts on it are like where to even begin with that so the hundred and forty-four thousand, as it was interpreted in the new testament the book of revelation originally was part of an entire series that i did like I'm talking maybe 300 shows over six years that I did with, uh, I always have seemed to have female co-hosts. And I was working with a woman named Sue Patterson who wrote a book. And the title of the book was The 144,000 in the Multitude. And it was a prophetic examination of basically the world right up to the end of the world as we saw that. And so um, the 144,000, first off, if you read it and you read the roll call that occurs in Revelation chapter 14, and if I get some of these chapters wrong, it's just because I'm rusty. Come and see. <laughs> but remember that 144 is 12 square. Yes. And the number the 12, 12 tribes. plays out hugely, hugely with the 12 tribes, which are actually yes. 13 tribes. But there's actually inside of the Old Testament several times where the tribes are enumerated. First off, uh, the original enumeration that was made to Moses, then it occurs again in the book of Ezekiel, at Ezekiel's temple. And each time the tribes are roll called, they're different. Some have dropped off, some have become apostate. Um, eventually, the 12 kingdoms fall. They rebuild this temple. It's a really pretty second-rate temple. There's actually three temples historically. And then it transitions after the book of Malachi, which is not in linear order either, but it doesn't matter because it worked in terms of the narrative, into the New Testament and the book of Matthew, which then begins the era of Jesus. And then there's the 12 disciples. And again, there's actually 13 because uh, one of them is Judas, who obviously hangs himself and then is replaced ultimately by the Apostle Paul. 
So it's interesting to see the foreshadowing that goes on there because you're actually seeing the foreshadowing of the 12 tribes, the 13 tribes with the 12, 13 um, disciples, apostles. So it plays into an overlay, a template, in terms of some numbers that prophesy towards the order of a very small group of people who represent what I will say are the seed of humanity, however you interpret that. If we wanted to be literal about it in terms of one narrative that I did a lot of commentary on, which was the uh, NPCs, the non-player characters in video games, you could say that the multitudes that are shown in the Bible are all background characters, NPCs, non-human, or uh, RPGs, or live-action role players, but the real deal is the 144,000, and that's the core of humanity. I think the number's emblematic. I think it's a symbolic number. Isn't the, um, the Enochian chessboard, isn't that a 12 by 13 grid, too? Yes, of course. Yeah. Because Enochian magic plays right into this. It's, mm -hmm. uh, that's the mystical side of this. That's why you had books that were excised from the scripture. That's why you have apocryphal texts and Gnostic texts. And scrolls that show up in 1947. <laughs> like, the, the year of going, fuckery. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> so what the fuck is going on here? It's like some shit just doesn't want to be disappeared, does it? It's like the sands of time blow open and there's the golden tablet and you're going, oh, this certainly makes things a lot more interesting. <clears throat> or yeah. they're they're inserted into the reality as hints. Like, <laughs> like, or, or they're like treasure. I've said about, it's like I've said about even these Tartarian structures. Um, what if, what if these structures are being revealed now because we put them there for ourselves in the future to remind ourselves as bookmarks? And it's like, yeah, we woke up me. and we looked at these things and we went, holy shit, look at that. We need to get Flavor Town here if uh, we're going to talk Tartaria. See, it's, it's seeding. And I think, like, when I look back at the conversations I had with my mama when I was little, and they didn't, you know, our relationship was very much in the car while she was telling parables, essentially. And she seeded all these conversations. They were all adult, we're little kids, my brother and I. And some of them are coming to bloom now where I didn't understand what was she talking about. And then, like, you know, four days ago, I had this epiphany. I'm like, oh my God. This is what she meant um, to my four-year-old self. And she told him, in, you know, in allegory, in basically in sing-songs, there were symbols that would awaken in me when I needed them, essentially, and break through cover stories. Break th I think I told you that privately too, Randy. Um, and so it it's this is how i'm reading a lot of the and i'm as you said earlier the grimoires which i include the bible and the books the books of the bible as uh and so but i find it interesting that the 144 is just unavoidable it's everywhere it's in all it seems to find its way in all the deep woo wells Yeah, some of us suspect that it's also perhaps genetic code. I see, I was trying to read the chat. 
and I see some people there catching on this, talking about this being code. Yeah, it's all code. I mean, a lot of this is encoded into the gematria as well. And um, there's some people doing incredible work with gematria. I'm not as facile with that as I am with what I'll say are probably more metaphorical aspects in interpretive schools. I'm still trying to learn to do tarot. I, I read tarot every once in a while, but I do it for myself. I, that's an act of visioning too. But the, these mystical numbers play hugely into it, including the Enochian magic and, and the dark arts as well, because the only thing the dark arts are is the, the obverse side of the construct. I mean, we're on the obelisk tonight. What is the obelisk? It's a needle. It's Cleopatra's needle. Yep. <laughs> it's it's a phallus pointing towards heaven. It's, it's, yes. it's the creative and procreative on an interface. Yes. Wasn't it the, originally, was it Osiris's dick, right? The phallus? Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Wait, Allegedly. You know, I mean, I don't believe anything any, the historians say about Egypt because I don't know Jack. Well, it ties in. It ties in also to the you know, from uh, into other mythology, with uh, with the Venusian stuff, which ties into the Luciferian stuff. It's w woven in and out of all these different mythos, and so it, it's you know it's fascinating how that's where I come from. Is how is this stuff kind of interlaced and woven together to create this bigger tapestry, and that's why I find it so. Uh, rich to consult all of these tomes and see where where they can take you as a whole as as opposed to their separate components yeah it is a tapestry that was kind of you know drawing it back to the eye of the needle again that was part of the imagery of the needle itself was how you have this single eye on this very long pointed object that you thread through, then the thread itself via the needle is inserted into the matrix, into the fabric. And the eye is the single eye, it's the one eye, it's visioning. You're constricting one piece of fabric using a metal or, well, I guess bone was probably was used in the earliest needles to then interface that into this tapestry. So in one sense, that was another side of the, the metaphor behind the eye of the needle was that it was basically a means to enter into the fabric of the construct and begin to change the construct while at the same time visioning it and working within our own energetics and our own visioning. On another level too, it also acts as a filter. Mm-hmm. It's a constriction. You yeah. have to constrict the thread to get it through the eye. Right. That's where we are right now. We're in, and uh, I think Bernard Gunther mentioned this in the write-up that he did for it, that we're in this period of constriction, this period when everything is just being stressed. And if you look around yeah. the world right now, <laughs> in 2020, it was like we shot right into it. Boom. I mean, there was no... There was no after-party cleanup at all. We just went straight into it. It's the nightmare that never came in 2000. 
Now, see, they were, they were timing was off because they thought the millennium began in 2000. It began in 2001, and they celebrated it by taking down their their twin towers mm -hmm. and putting up a new third tower. <laughs> right. Well, and then the the Vedic stuff has been saying, you know, which has been on my radar, that this was, you know, Vedic Vedic astrology is really great for as far as predictive astrology. And this was always on the table for being a very eventful period with the alignments going on right now that harken back to, uh, you know, to a big event like to uh, 9-11 and that we can keep going. Each, each little cycle back had something very significant and, uh, and here we are, but there's also the fuckery of the Gregorian takeover of the calendar, you know, from the lunar calendar and the 28 day site, 13 months of 28 day cycles to the calendar that got taken over. Uh, and where we are now and in a leap year to make the difference up so it's always this this weirdness of something that that's conceptual which is time this this constant uh twisting of the idea of time and how easy it appears to be looking back historically it can get co-opted like the the gregorian calendar is a great example of that in my opinion that you can just sidetrack the whole reality and hindsight is 2020 <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> har har the trick is to have hindsight <laughs> and foresight yes well and that's what you do you strip out the time factor yep you go to the zero point with it and so, and I mean, I mean, that's where I get into my deep blue with that whole, on the personal level with the zero point consciousness as opposed to zero point physics. And of course I postulate that it's the same anyway. And then you start talking droids and all that. You talk zero point consciousness and it's, it's I call it the, the, the horizon it's exactly the place where you there's equidistance between forward and backward the event horizon and that's what these i think these solar events represent to a large degree if not in if not in fact in metaphor um i don't know why but i seem to get real high energetic hits on on uh, the on the solar solar cycles big time solstice and equinox and the solstice in 2019 was huge and i've got information that i'm going to be putting out with the next eye of the needle podcast that talks about what really went on even in terms of what we call space and space energies and space weather and the energetics that were literally bombarding the earth for a number of days and how we're we're going through time shifts as a result of cosmic forces coming in <clears throat> i don't view space the way the normal models are predicated uh, i don't deny that there are bodies up there and that there is something 
around us, but what it is exactly and how you get there is another issue completely. And Emily and I have talked about this for years about the fact that we, we, we think that a first off space is actually an internal space and that you enter it through water. But we have these energies around us that are cosmic forces that seem to project energies into the earth to which we are connected. So it's almost like an, again, like a circuit board. It's like the circuit board lights up and the logic, the logic gates shift and a whole new process starts rolling. So if you look at it like, like a computer, basically uh, you reboot the computer, you start a new operating system and a new cycle. I just saw a notice the NBA has suspended the rest of the season. Are they really? You know, Can you believe what? that? Yeah. Because so. apparently um, one of the players on the Utah Jazz tested positive for the crown. For uh, the um, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> what is this really? I mean, what? we don't really have any proof about anything connected to coronavirus I know. right now. I know. I know. Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Wait, I just saw Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson tested positive for it. This to me, in the download I received when I made the tithing of Melchizedek, which was ahead of this whole thing with the locusts and the viruses that include the mystery virus in Brazil and in Africa, is a bloodline war. Sorry. It's confirmation. The dogs. To quote, like the beasts want want to be heard saying this too. To quote Castaneda. Confirmation. It's a bloodline war, and it where I got, and I follow that up with House of the Holy Blood. Also, there's more to it than that, but there's a lot going on with exposure of DNA strands. There's a lot going on with uh, the what I call the event horizon, which was the, when we hit the singularity, which I believe we already hit and we're dealing mm. with the time shift back. Yep. And, uh, and, and, you know, Jerry and I really got into that in the conspiranormal podcast we talked about. And uh, so that's all tying into this and it's, it's playing out in very interesting ways. So it's interesting it's interesting observing it and being in the water with it so to speak this whole process of what is becoming the you know the virus of the day I mean they're calling this pretty close to a pandemic <clears throat> they did sure call it, on... the who did they declared it okay a world pandemic there just aren't enough there's no, there's not, there's not no enough data. Yeah. There's not enough data. Um, even people in the positions of authority don't seem to be in agreement about this. It, it almost looks like a football being kicked back and forth. If you looked at um, the Twitter posts that Trump's put out and some that have been put out by some um, people who work in the medical field, and a lot of the stories behind 
what's going on with these connections with Wuhan and is it Harvard University? And then there's the bioengineering projects going on where the CDC owns all these patents. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation connected to the Mayo Clinic. And there's a lot of hands in this that have no interest at all in telling you the truth about anything, but have a real big vested interest in creating a climate of panic. I mean, my wife came home tonight and told me that the stores are out of toilet paper. I thought this was a joke. <laughs> the toilet like, paper thing okay. is, is I don't even know where to start with it. I can't well, believe it's like, all things. You know, Paul Watson put out a... They don't have to worry about shitting because they're not going to have enough food to worry about. Right, exactly. Seriously, of all things, toilet well, I mean, paper. Paul Watson today put out a video and he was talking about specifically the toilet paper thing. And he mentioned that when people go into panic mode, they buy big things to make them feel better. They It, it somehow eases their uh, fear of mortality. Quilted Charmin does that for me. <laughs> I like the lavender angel soft myself, but <laughs> I'm more of a rough trade girl. <laughs> I just like some gription in Cheap my TP. Just kidding. Well, uh, it, it is it that I mean, you can't make that stuff. This the American population with the toilet paper run is uh, it, it's a it's a it's a meme. It's unbelievable to me that that is the level in which with with the idea of a threat that that's that's what what people would be having a run on with not not other things that might be more you know conducive to the narrative that's playing out but toilet paper and here's a good question do you think that this virus however it started uh, is an attempt to disrupt something that was in, in play or not in play, but just that was moving forward. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Is it is it a, a diversionary tactic or is it something natural that's occurred? What do you think about that? It is... Um... I think I described it the other day in a tweet as a multifaceted um, cover-up. If you look at the financial system, and we've been sitting on this ticking time bomb for years, the, um, the bond market specifically had incredible weaknesses. Um, mm -hmm. The Fed, which has basically just been dumping money into the system with no, no support at all. Obviously, this is backed by bonds. I mean, I don't know that people realize that the bonds are the mechanism by which the, uh, on paper anyway, hike this, this fiat currency. So the buyers of the bonds, the bond market itself has been so soft and what people forgetting the narrative is that the bonds were really how we were paying for goods from our Pacific Rim partners, specifically China. That China holds a lot of this paper. And when Trump put into effect the trade tariffs, what he did 
well, probably one of the most constitutional moves done by an American president in a half a century. And really the only way the constitution ever allowed for the country to have any type of, um, I guess you would say money accrued from a taxing mechanism was tariffs, specifically on foreign trade. What he was effectively tariffing was the return on investment that was no longer going to happen on these bonds that had become nearly worthless paper that China held in great abundance. And now even the cash flow back and forth between the banks was going to be taxed at this level. So, you know, while on the surface, it looks like they're playing they're playing a fair game. They're really not. We've basically left our foreign trade partners holding bad paper in exchange for all these cheap goods that we've imported for the last 35 and 40 years. Just have another news flash. Uh, apparently Trump is suspending all travel to Europe or from Europe. This is, okay, this goes into something interesting because I, I think I put a lot of stuff out on Twitter and a lot of it's just stuff that comes off of the top of my head. But it's not lost on me that this could be a move towards isolationism where we just basically the horrible reality of it is that america outsourced itself over yes. a period from 1974 up through the early 2000s heavily i mean from the time nixon went to china and negotiated the first trade contracts with the red chinese we have seen a steady movement of our plants our infrastructure, our shipping, our logistics sent offshore. And basically we've been sitting here with boats and container cars coming in, dumping goods on American shore while America is not really, we really haven't paid our bills. We're not a good trade partner and we're forcing them to use our dollar under Bretton Woods, which means is that we have more ways of screwing them than they have orifices to protect at this point. <laughs> Now that's kind of crude, but I don't know how else to put it. It's a pretty crude operation. It's, you need boatloads of Vaseline for this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what I was asking in a roundabout way was, you know, is this a stab at globalism? Because... Yeah, globalism... Yeah, I, I do see this, and this is part of the whole visioning thing is that what I've been seeing is the world's going to look very different by 2024 2025 2021 I think, I think you're going to have an isolated america i think america well, yeah 2021 was of course the supposed to be the you know that's the checkpoint and then 2030 everything's supposed to be in the bag wrapped yeah but yeah, the, that's, that's not such a bad thing i mean the isolationism if, yeah if we could bring our manufacturing back to the states i mean this is definitely going to wake up people to start manufacturing businesses especially if the credit market loosens up which it in, in, undoubtedly will especially with the fed lowering rates and i'm sure they're going to lower them again if not if not going really negative to, there's not much further to go at this point it's True. like you dropped your underwear but it's still over your ankle you're going well i still have another half inch to go <laughs> no you're already naked we can we'll see, see your sack you're right now yeah your butt is already hanging out there cowboy sorry that's right um, we don't have that far to go and quite truthfully and i did put this out on twitter the fact that the the 
we allowed globalists to take mm -hmm. the industrial genius of America and outsource it. And it began right after the First World War. Mm -hmm. So we were never players in the world of solid state electronics in America. Like we made tubes, we were great right up until uh, the 1950s. But when the transistor came in, when solid state electronics began to be manufactured, there were really no semiconductor plants. There were a few small ones. The majority of solid state electronics were not only, they were mostly designed here originally, but most of them were manufactured in Japan originally. Japan, later Korea, later on. It, we were never players in the technology that we had basically engineered coming out of World War II. I thought the aliens Roswell. brought them from Roswell, right? Roswell. I was going to go right in there. Here we go, the aliens. Yep, got it. Yeah, yeah. well, you look at like, uh, what is it? Fairchild, Bell Labs, and sure. TI are basically the, yep. the semiconductor creators or manufacturers that, that survived or that strived rather, and then it all went overseas. You're right. Yeah, no, well, that was the deal. The deal was that... Japan as a conquered nation would then become part of the new world order. I mean, you have corporations like Sony, which is a Rockefeller corporation. It's um, Standard Oil New York, but they took the letters and they made it Sony and told you it was some weird Japanese word that doesn't exist and then sold you a shit ton of electronics <laughs> with it on it. Of which I plead totally guilty. I bought all kinds of Sony stuff. But we never manufactured it. And when we got to the computer era, other than the homebrew clubs, um, we really never manufactured computers either. Um, that was all. That was all foreign trade. <clears throat> the, the the computer revolution. Yeah, even the ones we did make, the parts were all outsourced from exactly. Overseas. Yeah, the components definitely were logic boards and, and st like still that. are. Yeah, still are. I think uh, I think Intel actually makes their own chips right now. I think there is a fab. And Apple actually does have a plan. I don't know what it's producing. What's mind control devices? Probably. <laughs> well, there, there's the good news. The good news is that the secret space program's been manufacturing shit in space <laughs> for the last 60 years. No, no, we don't want to talk about the ICC right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, you're not a big believer in the secret space program and the whole what is it the no, the, I, the Catherine I, Austin Fitz narrative? Well, there's a narrative there. The question is, what is it? And when you look, this is a this, this, is this ties into your whole view of what space is, which I also have an alternative yeah. view of space. So yeah, it ties into what space is. This actually on YouTube on off off our YouTube channel is. Um, youtube.com forward slash off planet media there's a show up there uh, episode 3 I the needle where I go into interdimensional um, aspects of trade human trafficking the fact that it's in all likelihood they are using off world resources off world environments to do advanced manufacturing that the trade that is being negotiated there is a very different type that earth is just basically a 
uh, a colony to provide the human intellect, the human vibratory aspects, and the soul for process to trade goods and services between worlds, you know, or even dimensionally. And, um, you know, so I mean, the secret, there is no secret space program. They don't call it that. It's, um, and to say that it's one construct is to not understand how sophisticated our world is. That, you know, if you look at Lockheed Martin or any of these other uh, space, aerospace or defense contracting corporations of which there are thousands of various scale, there's a huge industry there that's not accounted for in terms of our normal economic indexes. There's what was it? I saw the military budget where, Jesus, they they um, they lost more money than they ever had. And you're going, how yes. does that even work? You know, no. they literally hundreds of trillions of dollars disappeared into vapor, and yet you looked at their budgets and you went, you didn't have that much allocations in the last decade to lose. And, and they, it's like Rumsfeld the day before 9 11 yes. making the announcement. Two point three. You know. And then the next morning they blow up the buildings and you kind of like, you guys don't really have a good accounting system, do you? Or do they? Here's the interesting thing about that's it. my that's what I postulate. So where what you, I think where you're Austin, going. Yeah. And this is this this is my postulate is what Catherine Austin Fitz actually saw was one side of the ledgers. She saw ledgers, she saw books, she saw expenditures what she didn't see was the profit side of the ledgers which are the incoming profits from all the activities of what you would call the secret space program but the black budget is is far much more than a black budget it's complete now they use the term breakaway civilization they haven't really broken away they're actually more of a parallel civilization that operates on another another level i mean it's kind of parasitic though see it's uh, very parasitic yeah i I tend to think that the secret space quote you know the air quote secret space is underground or some of it is even antarctica it's not in public view but i don't think it's in space it would be be, yeah there's the inner dimension aspect to this um oh wait i just want to say one more thing too sorry before i do want to hear that what you're going to say the double budget thing, the double financial system is something that Joseph P. Farrell talks about, sure. that there's a second financial system and it's kind of revealing itself in these aspects. So, sorry, yeah, so space. Well, you've, you've heard of the comprehensive annual financial reports as well. Sure, right, sure. And that's the double bookkeeping system that, that every government from your local municipality right up to the Federal Reserve run. Mm-hmm which is basically reserve funds held in secret accounts that function as slush money off budget, completely legal, by the way. Of course. How that works, I don't know. You do that shit. You'll be 30 <laughs> years in, 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 in some federal prison somewhere. So space and what goes on under the ground, are that's complex. There's a book out there, um, I don't have it in front of me right now. If you've heard of uh, Peter Moon, Peter Moon's yep. published a number of books, uh, series based on 
the Transylvania series. The Radu um, Cinnabar. Radu Cinnabar. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Transylvania Sunrise was the first book. And there's like five books in the series. And the, the newest one is The Second Tunnel Under the Earth. That book goes into some very interesting concepts that will challenge. And anybody that reads this book can go back and look at what we've been saying on our show for years. This will challenge every premise you have about space, gravitation, um, the Earth itself and how the Earth is constructed. That book goes into the fact that there is, in fact, another system inside of the Earth, another sun, which is actually mm -hmm. another vortex, another dimensional portal. And once you begin to understand that you have a world within world structure, which was kind of what I was alluding to in EOTN3, it doesn't matter whether it's up or down, because in space, there is no up or down anyway. Right. right. It's, just, it's just next or previous. And the gateways into these things, we've just known this. It's like we've known it's water. I mean, there's just everything about our reality says that water is a portal. It's a gateway that mm -hmm. there's something going on there. And then there's inner space, which is we are microcosms of the universe ourselves. Everything mm -hmm. that exists in what you would call the universe in, exists inside of us. I mean, look at our bodies. We're a vortex. Our, we have seawater, the, the same components of seawater in our blood going through our body and magnetic forces. You know, if there's two forces that we've been, that have been completely relegated into uh, the outbacks of uh, knowledge, it's water and magnetism. And yet they're the two greatest forces that we have when we begin to understand them. And so the construct of space is both an inner world, outer world portal. It connects to inner earth because we're attached to earth. We are part of earth. This earth is part of us. It's inseparable. And the two books that really confirm this is, again, the Radio Cinemar book, uh, the Second Tunnel, and then a book that you can probably download offline called Ida Dorpa, which was published back at the beginning of the 20th century. And Ida Dorpa is the story of a man who, under the tutelage of a, a Masonic cult, frankly, is shepherded into inner earth, where he then gets a bird's eye view, so to speak, of what really goes on inside of a world where you walk underneath the oceans themselves, where there are dimensional worlds within dimensional worlds. It's, it's almost like a honeycomb. It's like time doesn't exist the way we understand it inside the earth, something that a number of us have understood as kids, that time is very flexible. This is what you were talking about at the beginning of the show, Nish this this uh, very plasticity of time. Um, gravity doesn't function the same way. In Ida Dorpa, the main character is transformed at one point. He's taken into a Masonic, Masonic Lodge. He's a man of probably about 30 years old. They age him to the age of about 70. They turn him into an old man. 
And you'll find out later in the book that they did this because he goes into inner earth, he actually starts to reverse age again. So if you read that book and you read um, <clears throat> the second tunnel book by Radu Sinemar, your concepts about almost all of mainstream science are going to be challenged. And this is exactly the journey that I undertook when I started my show 10 years ago. It's a lot of the reason why Emily and I kind of have had the conversations we do is because she sort of intuitively understood this as well, that these concepts are so far out. There are... They fly in the face of everything you've ever been taught, and yet there is a substance to them. And, and even here, there's an unveiling occurring. The Radu Cinemar book only came out, I think, in 2019. Um, so, you know, some of the things that I've been talking about that other people have been talking about in terms of gravity, in terms of time, in terms of what goes on inside of the Earth, all of this stuff is now being unveiled in, in pretty amazing ways. Yeah, we, we had Peter Moon on um, on our show not too long ago, and he was actually talking about how he had four, I forget how many, four or five books of Radu's that he was waiting to get copies of to translate. So, I mean, there's there's more information there. There's more material. Yeah. That, uh, I was alluded to as well by Moon at the, in the epilogue for, for the Under the Tunnel book. Yeah. That, um, I mean, they have to release this stuff under the title of fiction. And of that's course, as always. Europe too. But you see, all of your great truths are veiled in either as fiction or, or as in metaphor. <laughs> what we were talking about in terms of the, the shadow language, um, the prophetic voice, all of it is woven into the fabric of this reality. And this goes back again to the people who are in default mode for so long, who have allowed somebody else to do their thinking and their knowing mm -hmm. for them is that when you're in default mode, you will accept the narrative that's been given to you. And for whatever reason, there are those among us who didn't come into this world accepting much of anything. I was one of them. Totally. Hello, me I too. Me three. All the time. <laughs> Rebel Jean. <laughs> it's a hard life. It, it ain't easy, baby. It's a, it's a hard oh, knock. It's locked up. I mean, yeah. It's a hard knock life. <laughs> the Annie program. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading Twitter. You guys, I swear. So with with all this that we're talking about with timelines and all that, and you know, I appreciate you saying time slips. That I, 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 that's where I go with it instead of the whole Mandela thing, but maybe it's a shout out to Starfire. I don't know. Uh, how, so with this collective, with the collective meme, and I'm going to use that word going on right now, tied into all these different ideas of prophecy and resets, endings and beginning tens, right? the one is zero and all that uh how how do you in your from your view randy how do you see us how do we ride this out gracefully yeah i don't know about gracefully it's certainly not going to be comfortable 
Um, well, it's not going to be comfortable, and we can't take away the fact that it's very, you know, whatever real feels like, it feels that way too. So we're, you know, we're in the sensate of it. We're experiencing it. We're having an experiential lucidity around all of it. And there's certainly the apparent idea of time with it because there's a yeah. causality effect. Grow comfortable with paradox. It's becoming stronger all the time. There are the way that we've determined reality has largely been based on a very fixed construct of what is quote normal, of what is perceptually accepted. And I'm seeing it in the mainstream in people, IRL, real life, where even what I call mainstream people, their narrative is breaking down. Like, in some ways, it's been gentle. It's like taken very long time to do. But if you watch the evolution from standing back and watching human beings, the reality is constantly being changed anyway. You know, before 2001, who would have guessed we would have a Department of Homeland Security and that we couldn't get on planes until we were body scanned, anally probed, had our luggage torn apart, and four guards go through our pockets. But that reality came very quickly. Uh, we're now bumping up on this next thing, which is whatever coronavirus really is, is they're attempting to install yet another layer of control. But the reason why they're doing it, the reason why they did a 9-11, which was a, you know, obviously a prophesied event, even the Bible talks about when the towers fall in the book of Revelation, and that wasn't lost on me when I saw 9-11 happen. So now we're in the era of the plague. We'll call it the plague. We'll call it that because that's what they're calling it. And... It is a means to install another level of control because of the rising of the 144,000. If you stay with the Bible and you just stay with the metaphors, what you see is that all of this shit is going on in the world. There's plagues, there's floods, there's earthquakes in diverse places. There's um, sun turns to darkness, the moon turns to blood. Gosh, where have we seen that? How many blood moons have we had in the last three years? Didn't we have an eclipse? <laughs> I know. More than twenty. About that freaking eclipse, man! That thing was. <laughs> that that was definitely another reality changing event or demarcation. Yeah, that was yeah. a time shift. There are that three super moons this year. Yes, and and we have uh, another American eclipse that will occur in twenty twenty four as well. So they may be bookmarks. They they may be the the the, the dual portals of this period that we're in now, which is this window, this constriction, this eye of the needle thing. And the way we get through this is we become flexible enough in our thinking, our reality, and our, even our physicality, this is important, that we can go through this. A virus is not going to kill you. You will die when you are supposed to die. And if you decide otherwise, if you decide the coronavirus is real, that it's invaded your body, then it'll take you out. But I'm telling you that energetically, the reason why a disease will take you out is because you have a proclivity for death. 
I mean, Jerry survived what is probably one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen a, a person go through. I mean, and everybody's going, nah, Jerry's, this isn't Jerry's time. Jerry will make it. You know, like people were praying and meditating and speaking words and going, and, and I'm like, I knew when we were watching this whole thing that Jerry was going to make it. And I got sick as hell a few, few weeks ago. The beginning of actually the last, I got sick on the full moon last month in February. It was a Sunday night and I started having death dreams. I finally got sick enough that I had to go to the hospital. I literally could not breathe anymore. And it was lost on me that that snow moon that we had, which was, I think, February 8th, um, I started having all these death dreams, big time. And Can like, you give us um, some of that imagery? You know how I love the dreams. And just that kind as, of a, as an aside here, Right before I started getting sick, I was seeing 9-11, everywhere. Wow. So, I mean, it's not quite death, but yeah, it's the same thing. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a harbinger. Um, yeah, the, the dreams themselves were pretty dark. I, they were actually frightening. Like, I saw myself literally leaving my body several times again. Um but I also had the sense that there was around this something that was feeding off of my energetic body and that was kind of a form of it's a snake or a worm. Wait a minute, it's the worm moon. Yeah, I saw these, yes. these these parasitic entities that were draining me. And I had actually been sick since November. Like we went to Kentucky over Thanksgiving. I was not feeling well when we went down. I sort of rebounded, and then I got really sick on the way back. And I never recovered from this. We got through the holiday season, and I managed to rally a little bit. But I would say I'd been ill for a couple of months. And the message I kept getting consistently about all of this was that I had to decide. And this is something I've gone through for about a year. Like, there's been a couple of sequences of this. I had to decide I wanted to live. And I don't think that message is just for me. I think most human beings have to decide right now. They want to summon their life force to go through something that's spectacular, that's going to be incredible, but that we have to go through a fair amount of discomfort with because we're basically dismantling a world system. Yeah, I agree. On just stepping back a minute, can yeah. you describe the worm? Did, did they have teeth? I don't have that level of detail. Like I saw them more or less feeding on my etheric body, mm -hmm. which was the place I was, my etheric body was really what was going out into the grids and i thought about this a lot and i thought that i deplete myself did i contaminate myself did i pick up some kind of etheric entity in doing some of this stuff and even in dealing with some of the etheric implants which mm -hmm. we all have yes yeah um the chakras being the main ones they are <laughs> um 
that etheric body is is the mechanism by which we interface on 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 the scale of the the earth energy grids themselves and so these worms to me were semi-luminescent they appeared on my body at different critical places um i actually saw them coming out of my eyes at one point my ears and around my throat and chest which was the scary part because that's the part of my body that i was having trouble with i i literally was my my um my respiratory system was slowly shutting down i find this of interest because some of the work i've been doing with a couple people lately uh with beacon type toroidal type stuff the the worms have been coming out like pushing towards what we're doing and it was a very unusual imagery for me to encounter but they're very wor they're wormy and um but they did have teeth oh, mm -hmm. i will say that but i'm i'm a visual person were they luminescent or did they glow in some way or some of them did this was uh, this is awake uh i guess i hate to use the word light work but not not in the way this was awake conscious work so it wasn't in a dream state so to speak but they th some of them were some of them were dull gray randy and it just depended on where i was focusing where i had my eye focus so the higher up i was or the more omniscient i was mm -hmm. the less luminescent they were oh, that's so the lower in the more luminescent they were so they were probably feeding off of your luminescence that well i was trying to you know create this this beacon and push push away stuff with some other people so yes and i mean to me it, it was it was as soon as this grid got kind of when we activated it they came in and it mm -hmm. was it was mm -hmm. interesting it was like you know it was kind of like fishing in a weird way where i didn't expect to i didn't that's expect to encounter them that's interesting i mean if you think about it it's funny because when they said worm moon and i got to thinking about it and i thought you know because really the ground opens up the worms are the first thing that come up because they aerate the soil the earth i associate it with trout fishing because as a kid this is the time of year when we went trout fishing i mean we used flies to do trout fishing but you use worms as bait and this is a time of year when quite frankly here in pennsylvania the streams around here right now should be jumping with fish so you have that imagery as well yeah they should be here as well and they're not by the way I was, i'm out in the forest every week and on a healthy planet it would yeah be. <laughs> it's like nothing there you know, there isn't <laughs> no normal anymore no no and that's part of what that's part of what we're writing out collectively is this i always call it the shakedown it, it's um you know we're re we're resetting on so many levels so on the surface with all this uh what we're seeing is looking to be a financial reset globally uh however you want to look at it that there just seemed to be a big major reset happening but energetically 
as we've been talking about through this whole show, this is definitely a reset. Yeah, this is, is definitely an activated reset. An another That's aspect of this too is that the the whole global carbon footprint has been reduced by the by this epi pandemic, rather. You know, the mm. the lack of shit going on in China because of the, the shutdowns and whatnot have reduced their global footprint, their carbon footprint, rather. Pollution's going down. In one way, you could look at this as the planet taking care of the pollution or, or a, you know, bringing those levels down a little bit in response to all the climate change, you know, fear porn that's been put on us for the last two years. Oh, just a thought. That's an interesting take. I mean, look, it, it, we interpret... I'm open to what people interpret in the symbology around them. You know, whether I agree with you literally or factually or not, there's, a, there's this, this notion, especially in the alternative research community, that if I don't believe it's truth, you must be lying. And the truth of the matter is that a great deal of our reality is it an interpretive experience? We give meaning to things that happen around us. Yeah. We do it on a literal level and we do it on a symbolic level. And, and we can't help it. No, and, and, and much of what is around us is in fact a simulation. Yes. You know, when, when we're talking about the secret space program. So one of my theories is the secret space program, SSP, is a simulation run under mind control. Uh, Lindsay Hooper and I talked about this late last year. We pissed a bunch of people off because they thought we were saying we were calling bullshit on their experiences. We're not. What happens to you in a simulation neurologically is no different than the actual physical event itself. You have experienced something. And if that's not true, then everything that we say about dreams, everything that we talk about in terms of entheogenic experiences, anything that we talk about in terms of our own imagination goes out the window too. We are neurologically wired to experience things on a number of levels. So between truth and lies somewhere is an interpretive abstract layer where we can define reality outside of provable facts and cause and effect. And we can say that they exist as part of the holographic experience that the brain is going through. One of the things that, as you say that, and, and I've had to tune a lot of people out recently in, in the last year really, is, is this dynamic and uh, there's so much there's so much con convictions a wonderful thing it can be and it, you know everything has its its shadow and at least here in this particular plane in this field and i i've become very weary of those that are aggressive with their attacks towards others and, uh, and, and especially in these conversations that we all find ourselves in, in this, you know, rather small community, really. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know everyone has seen it around. And so, 
it's perception not to be on you know perception is as a as a cue of what you're experiencing is your experience and and Wait, that's QAnon? Valid. <laughs> well it just whatever whatever the coming at the personal attacks i'm seeing by, by people that think they hold the the holy truth you know screaming holy 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 and yeah. uh look at the nonsense and, that's going on between like Corey good and cw well, chanter and cliff high right now name names. I'm, it, I'm just, just saying as an example that you know mm -hmm. all the fighting over who's right and wrong it's it's very I'm I'm I've become increasingly confused by that aspect of how we are trying to navigate the fabric, the cloth here. And when we start saying this is my this is my truth is the truth, therefore your truth is not the truth. Or your truth is has flaws, and let me tell you how your truth has flaws, and and then this idea of what I can see physically is the solid truth is is weird. It's making me weary because that's it's it's cutting out the possibility that that there is anything else. That it's cut. It's it's narrowing in. It's blinders and. Uh, I'm I'm feeling like there's a big disservice going on to this whole. Let's work together and piece piece this. Let's let's work together and piece this and and see what we have rather than I'm negating you completely because you just said this or subscribe to that. Uh, it all sounds vague, and I don't. Well, so that that proposition actually has been laid on the table of a, num a number of times. Um, and we'll use Corey Good as an example because he's the infamous example. It isn't about Corey or his narrative. It's about the fact that on the level of interaction, this became a money-making operation. It became proprietary and it became an ego game. And then it became a game of stalking and all manner of very vile and vicious personal attacks from all sides. Absolutely. And so I've had to deal with a situation in my own little pocket universe here in some people that I have done shows with, have worked projects with, and stepping back and looking not at what they are saying, not even at what they're doing, but the content of the character of the people and how they, com they comport themselves on an interpersonal level. And when I start to see the pattern where people are doing vicious personal attacks, even against somebody who's a critic or a perceived enemy, and this was the Corey Good School and David Wilcock as well, that everybody outside the camp that was throwing criticisms valid or not, and there were valid criticisms to be leveled, became enemies, rather than looking at that and going, okay, I understand that you have these reservations, let's sit down and talk about it. Rather than becoming this self-sustaining monolithic truth under yourself, 
how about you sit down and talk to other people who have similar visions? And this was kind of, um, um, well, I interviewed uh, a person who identified themselves to me as being associated with SSP. Um, she went by the name, name Ileana in the show and her name is um, Elena Kopalnik. And I did oh, almost three hour interview with her. I remember that. And Elena Kopalnik tried to reason with Corey Good. She wanted to sit down. She wanted to share experiences. There were overlaps. We would say now that they probably shared the same simulation. Corey would, Corey basically started to call out everybody who he considered to be fake, which was everybody who wasn't part of that particular Gaia TV program. The Dark Alliance. The Dark Alliance, yeah. So, you know, basically it was proprietary. It was being done for profit. It was ego driven. And it had this side to it of very nasty, very negative interactions with people who were perceived to be a threat to the narrative that was being woven. And in my experience in interviewing people, especially UFO experiencers and people who came out of dark projects, the person with the least amount of granular detail is the most credible witness because in almost all cases, in my experience, if you have a complete narrative of this, their program didn't work very well because that's basically what wiping was about. The idea of compartmentalizing personalities under, under traumatic splitting was designed to compartmentalize both the personality and the knowledge about the projects themselves. So based on what we know about the way um, traumatic mind control works, it does break down over time and there is leakage. There is this period of time when you begin to repossess memories of something that feels distantly vaguely like your experience but total recall isn't really part of the picture and granular mm -hmm. detail the more detail there is there's um, a number of ufo experiencers out, experiencers out there who once they put out a very sketchy narrative then begin to fill in the chalk lines and you're going okay so now you're now you're you're fluffing the narrative and mm -hmm. you're doing this because you're being interviewed and that simple scenario story and i could i could take it from my own experiences just what i remember about things that happened to me in my early years that i have enough of a memory to say something happened this is what i believe happened there's a certain level of detail and then you just go i don't know anything else after that yes yes but see this is all addressing this energetic level of the viral invasion that we're experiencing mm -hmm. so and that, that that's getting projected out as the the virus du jour that is that is spreading and being very uh nasty however you want to look at it, it collectively it's become a reality of nastiness and uh but the energetic level of it we can see and bring back to these personal examples of which we just outlined and uh how it's affecting people the, the, so we have people that were once friends fighting we have it's affecting everything energetically it got in like a trojan horse to our collective psychic body and now it's projected outward 
you know, I, the, the coronavirus is basically an attack on your own right. I mean, it, absolutely. Well, uh, this little light of mine. <laughs> and, 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 and truthfully, if you believe it, it's true. And enough people now believe it that they're manifesting symptoms. We don't know what happened in China. There is no way to document this. There's no official, credible, statistical reporting. What the videos that we got, those chopped up videos of everything from what looks like bodies being thrown into um, miniature incinerators to where police are dragging bodies off the sidewalk to people collapsing on street corners. We have no idea what the origin of those are. There's no chain of evidence for any of that video that's credible. The reports but, are but, getting, is it credible but, or not? I don't know. It's but beyond right. that, beyond all of that, that is the the show around this. Mm -hmm. It's a big show and it's a spreading show. So it's like candida in the system. Mm -hmm. You know, it's getting a lot of sugar and it's 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 spreading in that way. And what I'm postulating here is Good so we, there's no negating the fact that it's we're all experiencing it grow. And uh and and however you want to think about it, it is growing. And but I am saying that it is it is absolutely an energetic mind virus. It's every you know this whole window pane aspect to it. This whole uh, uh, it's so I'm bringing it into this inter or inner or interspace to examine it that's the peach tree did the that's that's the microphone uh, mike mm -hmm. i can't look i'm stumbling on your words because this download i'm getting that's the uh uh microscope in which i'm having to observe it personally as i see as i look around and i see at see collectively what we're what what's going on what are we collectively creating and and it doesn't matter some of these details do not matter to me personally but what matters is the fact that there's enough people feeding it there's enough exactly happening that it's becoming real yeah there's more and more hosts yes it, in that sense it is what i called it early on in, in the cycle it, it is a mind virus and there's a mind virus that basically has attached itself to your light being, to your light body. You know, DNA puts off light. I just saw somebody here in chat, this is interesting, that they just found candida in Australia. I have been researching- Antarctica. I thought it was Antarctica. Or I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, it is Antarctica. Sorry, I'm looking at the screen from a distance. Oh, I'm, I'm not in the chat. Thank you, I, Suzanne, for that. that, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. So I'm researching right now um, some things related to DNA, including, DNA that they obviously find in ice. They also find bacteria and virus there. What's it? The um, one of the flus, one of the early flus that was very deadly, uh, was actually sealed in ice up in the North Pole. And now I'm finding out that they're doing extensive research in Antarctica to find these viruses as well. So there's something going on under the ice with these viruses microbes um genetic sequences 
have been preserved inside of ice, which is interesting because ice is a lattice crystalline substance as well. Yes, intriguing. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? <laughs> okay, so that was a great find. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, there's so much there that uh and and you know we we're in such agreement on on that whole crystalline thing and and how all that plays into everything and the programming of crystalline lattice crystalline matter all of it uh, our bodies i mean your show has really fleshed that out thankfully we've yeah and i mean emily's early work on sugar's um, programmable matter. I'll just put this on record because she was the first person I know of that said it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. right now we're looking at this coronavirus and if it is a virus, if it is what they say it is, one of the vectors is sugar. You know, the first thing you want to survive something right now, forget the freaking toilet paper. Cut the <laughs> sugar out of your diet. Yes, Increase absolutely the intake of critical minerals and vitamins to your body and oxygen and oxygen mm -hmm. that's a big <laughs> one Boy, that's so that, that's that's what i went through i had when i went into the hospital i had hypoxia which hypoxia has become interesting as well because now we're finding out that um uh, the Connections between oxygen and mitochondria are being affected by 5G. Um, yes. Oh, yes. So we pulled in another vector there because 5G plays into coronavirus as well. If we're following some of the alternative theories on this, which has to do with Wuhan and the fact that, yeah. that they, they basically switched 5G on. Mm -hmm. I mean, what if the world's telegraphing us right now of dangers, things we've been warning about? I'm not a technophobe, but I'm still trying to puzzle out exactly why the specific frequencies of the 5G circuitry now, given the net value of it relative to what it's taking to roll it out. There's some agenda on the back burner that we're not aware of because 5G doesn't make sense. I mean, it's going to be great to have the push. The push of it doesn't make sense. No, the push it, of it doesn't well, it's, make sense. It's a net. It's well, literally a net that's going to seven G. That that's where if you looked five... at if you looked at your early phones, Verizon used to brand their phones Verizon LTE, mm -hmm. which meant long term yes. evolution. <laughs> Verizon had mapped out the evolution of their mobile networks over a long period of time to go from three to four to 5G. I don't know what was before that because mobile systems were very different in the 80s and even the 90s than they are now. I mean, we've gone through not just evolutions, but complete changes in infrastructure in terms of how mobile has been operated. It's completely different now. It's fully digital. It's very high bandwidth running on microwaves where at one time it did not use microwaves. So, Suddenly, long-term evolution became short-term investment. Something else is going on. They tell us it's for the Internet of Things. Yeah. What are the things? What if you're the thing that's supposed to be on the Internet of Things? <laughs> what if you're an object? Absolutely. This is actor? it. Yes, yes. Sure, pull and... that up there, Jerry. Hold that up. Show it close. We're not... 
There you go. There you go. So I'm showing a, an M5 uh, stick I bought, which is an IoT development kit. They, they're already talking 6 and 7G. 5G was just getting to the proper, uh, getting the, the tighter weave in the net, it, you know, so many feet apart and that whole internet of things. And working with, I mean, I love the imagery because it, it is a net. And connected in with, uh, and th this, I don't care if we're talking Morgellons, I don't care if we're talking crystallized matter within ourselves, including, you know, stuff that we take in like salts and sugars and, and those kinds of things. And then at some point, where do you differentiate between G and D? There's like, there's a whole, many, there are a lot of layers here that my mind is is weaving together. And of course, none of us, I mean, that's the beauty of these kinds of conversations is we're helping each other process this yeah. information. So if you look at this on the level of what's been going on since the beginning of the 20th century, which was when we entered into the technological era, we know that Tesla had what was effectively zero point energy, completely wireless through the air conductivity of energy that we're now calling the um, Tartarian uh, technology. Again, you know, perhaps that reset that is alleged to have occurred, that was a vestige of, of the technology of that time, the onion domes and the various um, cathodes or cathedrals as they were and yet somehow or another we wound up in a world being run by over the wire high amperage high impedance high frequency alternating current running over a grid of wire work that encompasses probably tens if not hundreds of millions of miles of wire and in that YouTube video that I put out, which is part three of Eye of the Needle, I talked about the fact that what if these are cattle fences? In one sense, what if they put these wires around us to begin a form of captivity? Yes. A very physical form <laughs> of captivity that tied us economically to the means of consumption and production being widely available electricity for first industrial purposes, then to light homes, and eventually to run um, your hi-fi system, your television set, your refrigerator, your air conditioner, all the conveniences. But none of this was ever necessary. They put the wires up around us, just like you put up electrical wires around a, a cattle ranch. So now we come into the wireless era, and there's another level of captivity coming in. What is it? Is it in the energetic field? Is this now about not just the captivity of human creativity and industry, but the harnessing on the energetic body level of literally pulling us into what would eventually be what I call the simulacrum, something that I did a show with Shamil Asher a number of years ago where we got there and we just went into this. It's like, Maybe they're replicating us to create this simulated world, which will be us, but will not be us anymore, but a simulation of us. I mean, 
whether the simulator becomes the simulated or the reverse of that. Think about it. Ed. There's a there's a guy out there who talks about that this that kind of simulation already exists. It's yeah, a, yeah. Anthony I mean, something or other. Oh yeah, Anthony Patch. Yes, thank yes, you. Yes, Anthony Patch. Yeah, uh, and and that's kind of where we got to with this. In fact, Anthony Patch probably came up in that narrative. We don't really know. What we know is real, is inside us, and we can control the outer expression of that by conscious awareness of who we are and how we embody the present reality. Everything else is speculation. And for some people, I know they're going, oh shit, there he goes. <laughs> but seriously, we're now at the place where cognitive scientists are going, there isn't even space time. There's a University of Irvine professor. Yeah, give me a second here. I'll find yeah, I saw that too last week. Um, who's basically said um, that, you know, as far as he can tell, we are basically what Nish talked about earlier, the dreamer dreaming the dream inside of the dream. Yes, yes. That's what all this is. Which totally will, it totally freaks you out. But at the same time, if you go back and you read the Vedic texts, you read mm -hmm. any of the mystical texts, even the Bible kind of alludes to this, we're kind of in a place where maybe all we're doing is waking up to the reality we've always lived, but understanding um, it on another level, perceptually. So the guy is named Donald Hoffman. He's a professor at, professor at the university at California, Irvine, his book is called The Case Against Reality. And he has YouTube videos out there. Go listen to him. He makes a compelling argument. And what he's really talking about is something that I've talked about. Everything that I've done, I mean, everything that I've done on radio somewhere connects to what I call the primacy of consciousness. The mm -hmm. fact that our single focus of reality is what we are seeing, what we are presenting, what we ourselves embody, and that the world that is built around us is largely a result of this panoramic screen where we interact with other souls who also themselves are projecting realities. And right. we have agreed to a consensual reality, which has a lot of rules. This yes. then becomes the matrix. This, is be this becomes the programming for the grid. And only humans can do this. And that that's where the idea of gravity lives. Mm. Wow. It's, Holy it's, shit. You should just <laughs> you should just clip that, loop it, and put it out as its own video right there. She just said it. There you go. That's your zip file right there. Nish. You know, Randy, when I when I was trying to analyze uh when I get lucid in dreams, it always starts with in successful lucidity. It always starts with a pinpoint. I all so I'm doing something. I'm unconscious, basically. I'm having dream dreams, right? And then I all of a sudden I kind of go into tunnel vision, mm -hmm. and I my focus is on and then, and usually it's like looking down. And I'm like, whoa, I'm dreaming, and it it's always fun and exciting. And then as I try to expand the idea that I'm dreaming, the dreamer awakens within the dream, which is the goal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. that's where I start to encounter 
other dreamers. And that's where I start to encounter those that are already those dreamers that are already awakened with in their dream that are constructing a reality around me. Mm-hmm. around my own dream and so it had you know it's paramount to 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 become lucid and see who these other architects are because i'm an architect you're an architect we're all architects in this experience but if you can't if you're struggling to get there and you're not getting that pinpoint reality that you can expand so and then see who else is who else is playing architect i like that what well, you know it makes sense to me it makes good sense well, this is me. actually the metaphor behind freemasonry that most people don't get I, look i grew up in a family of freemasons i i same here can you tell i was never <laughs> in i was despite uh the rumors and innuendo out there i was never a freemason um i actually didn't need it even my father told me later on in years that I knew at least as much as most people in the higher orders of Freemasonry, just what, from what you get it by osmosis. If you're in the family. Yeah. And so the drawing board, the, um, the, the checkerboard floor, you know, the, the compass, the, the ruler, these are all aspects of the construct of a reality. And the keys to Freemasonry are largely this, but they're mystically shielded. So, what you just outlined there is actually more of the occult side of Freemasonry than most floor level Freemasons ever get because they don't perceive it. You know, for them, it's a fraternal organization, it's a social organization, it's a way to get ahead at the high levels of things. It is, it is a control grid, but almost nobody understands that the simple, and I just saw somebody say in chat about how everything's complexified things become simple when you begin to guide yourself by these symbols and metaphors and those are the key issues those are the key imagery of freemasonry and what it's telling you even with that 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 single eye that's the eye of the needle that's the vision (laughs) (laughs) we always get back to that don't we we always do. It always comes back to it. It's, it's what like, is the topic of tonight's discussions? <laughs> it's actually everything that we've talked about and more because we're cramming all this stuff through a really tiny little nanotube. Yeah. So that's the real secret to all this shit. All this macro stuff that we got, we got to put this through a nanotube. Yes. You know, it reminds me of people that have had, that have told some really interesting out-of-body stories about how hard it is to get back in their shell. Mm. They feel they're so much bigger than they think they, you know, how do I get back in there? And they see themselves, they know they're going back in, but they are so much bigger than that. Yeah. You ever wake up from a dream one morning and all day, I've had them already where half the day I'm going... I just can't get myself back in my body. There's part yes. of me that's out there that's I'm like pulling it in. I'm going, come on, we really we need this part today to function, really. Yes. I can't walk around like disassociating all day. But it's that, like <laughs> I'm notorious for that, Randy. I'm all it's always that. I'm like I'm getting into my body. Give me time. I'm like, yeah. I'm coming back. But see, our consciousness and, and again, the eye of the needle is a focused consciousness. But the truth of the matter is we're multidimensional beings who exist on many dimensions at once. This consciousness was never designed to contain 
the entirety of who and what we are. So everything that's trapped inside of the system that's been farmed, that's been contained, that's been uh, nuked, that's been germed, all of it, that's just one segment of it. We're actually drawing knowledge and energy and power off of other aspects of ourselves that exist outside of the temporal reality that we occupy. You know, this is what you would call the soul, the spirit, the higher self, the oversoul, is that aspect of us that exists outside of this present reality, but it is out there and it is part of us and it's connected. And this is where the dreams and the visions and the downloads and what it's going to take to get through the next five-year period is coming from it's going come on you can do this because once we do this we open up a whole entirely new region of reality and it's going to be fucking amazing i agree and that's one of the this is where of course i'm a no fear person so even though things can be acute and intense and and you know where we have to face our you know the dark stuff that we have to face the agitation that create that beautiful stuff comes from and a lot of times that is the idea of uh how transient we are here and how transient everything is which is part of the nature of my new video that i'm i'm trying to talk about in that uh is is that is that idea and i constantly like to i like to use the word immortal and immortality because this is truly how i feel and and because it's how i feel i use it i understand that the vessel is the vessel is the vessel it's mm -hmm. the car keep it clean it's a temple try you know try your best to that's another thing with this uh meme that's going around us of the sickness this mind virus this virus is well how's how's your temple you know if your temple's clean on on these energetic levels if you're processing correctly if the cow around you is functioning and there's good blood flow and and things are moving in and out as they should this is this is this is a a, a moment of reckoning in a good way this is a moment of waking another moment of awakening yeah. and and these things can affect you you can see them but they can't like i was saying with the worm earlier i saw it i saw it pushing in it had nasty teeth you know and then i saw another one and then i saw another one and it it was i didn't feel threatened by them because i felt like the the shield which i like to call a cow i'm really into using that cow imagery right now <laughs> uh, or membrane, you know, because you get the birth life stuff out of that. Yeah. Did you say cow or cowl? Cowl. Like, like arrow. Yeah, like what you're born. You know, the uh, membrane that you're born in. Mm -hmm. The. Mm -hmm. So. The yeah, I don't know. Side. What is that? You are both watching the chat. Is there any, are people asking questions or anything? That's what I was just wondering too, if we had any interaction, if anybody wanted to ask anything. The one, thing I, comments I, and the one thing I wanted to throw in there was you were talking about how, you know, we get through this the next five years and it's going to be amazing. That goes along with what like Cliff High has been saying about sci-fi world is coming. Yeah. It, you know, 
I know there's a lot of controversy right now because I've basically kind of bitch slapped Cliff a little bit because I feel like he's fear pointing. I concur. At the same time, is he's also actually given some decent homeopathic advice to people. Yes, absolutely. Around, you know, supplements and chaga mushrooms. Chagas. And like, mm -hmm. um, but there's a part of me that feels like either subconsciously or otherwise he's running this fear program which is reinforcing the proliferation of the virus in the first place because my my postulate is that it's a mind virus first is it manifesting into reality well do we actually have infections the answer is probably yes because it's been conceived in the mind and that which is conceived in the mind is manifested into the real world so yeah i mean you know, I think on one level, and this is where you can't, you can't burn the bridges too hard. You know, we held out an olive branch to almost everybody, including Corey Good, because we're all human souls. And because we're all caught up in the drama of this reality, it's entirely possible that on any given day, hey, I could be an asshole. I mean, and I could probably be an asshole on the scale of Corey Good, just not for as long because I don't have the will and the energy to sustain that energy or that frequency anymore. But in this, we'll call it the alternative communities, I would like to see more generosity of spirit in terms of at least saying, okay, this person's really driven like an extreme turn here and like twisted around a tree and shit. So let's let's hold space for that. Yes, I agree. Um, and allow for the fact that, you know, along this really is actually kind of Christian in, you know, being in forgiveness, being in charity to people and allowing for the fact that we can all fuck up pretty hard and that there's a road back. And I mean, I've been savagely attacked by a certain contingent on the internet who have made horrible accusations. And yet I, I, I've kind of gone to the place where, you know, I may correct you factually. I may occasionally upbraid you because you've said things that are just ridiculous, but I'm not gonna battle this anymore because it just feeds it. It's just a feedback loop. And yeah. I even think, you know, what's going on with like the contingencies of the secret space program, they're kind of burning each other out to the place where what will happen is it's like when a forest burns and then the green shoots come up again. I'd prefer not to have that scorched earth policy. I would like to see a little bit of greening and not need the gigantic bonfire to ignite new growth. It would be nice if we could work with each other cooperatively again. I don't, I just don't, I am so put off by personal attacks. Now I do hold, I do have, there is there, I have my limits. So when animals become involved, I will, there's scorched earth there. And, and that's a problem for me. But when it's, when it's this person talking about that person and they're getting ugly and down and dirty, I just see that as well, I see it as what Jung called it is shadow projecting, and it's it, it it's just not where I want to be. And so, but as far as people like Corey Good, I you know I 
I never felt he was authentic. My psychic self, and I hate to say that I'm com- becoming more comfortable with it, but you know, I always just saw that as a very thin. That's a commercial enterprise, is what that is. That's what it, it yeah, day one. Absolutely. That. I mean, it's like TTSA. You know, the, the 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 forums are still up there with Project Avalon. We published um, hundreds, uh, over a hundred pages of transcripts. Uh, of Corey on various forums post Avalon before signing with Gaia TV to do cosmic uh, disclosure. So, I mean, you can make that a pin, you can get to that place yourself. And, and, and frankly, it's like uh, Shane the Ruiner has said uh, on, on my show and other places some people are just shitty people and they are what they are. You deal with them at that level. I mean, Respect do worse, respect earn, Mikasa tu casa. I saw a question here. Somebody was asking about peak oil, which I'm surprised anybody's brought up. I thought that had died long ago. So peak oil peaked, the whole concept of it. The Russians had long held the abiotic theory that the earth is generating uh, an abundance of um, things including gas and oil organically, including fresh water. There's no shortage of any of this. There's no shortage of anything. Peak oil was created as, as part of a, uh, a dual pincer movement to create pressure in markets so that when they had sufficient um, volumes to drop prices, they could use this to reinforce futures markets and it really goes back to OPEC and the idea that we no longer had oil on the North American continent when in fact, most of the oil consumed in the United States doesn't come from the Middle East at all. It comes from Canada. Thank you very much. So there is no peak <laughs> yeah. oil crisis. And if you read uh, Ida Dorpa and you read uh, the Radu Cinemar book, um, the second tunnel under the earth, you'll find out that there's a lot of things under the earth that we still don't know about yet that could make our lives real interesting. And we wouldn't even need that black shit anymore. <laughs> did yeah, there are other ways. Did there you hear good. the interview with Peter Moon on uh, Carlwood show on THC? I did not. You should listen to that. He goes into more detail about how actually radu transitioned to inner earth and how it's in transition points under the earth and like caves and whatnot mm-hmm. and how you had to actually change your frequency to yes. transition into that space and That's that true. many people couldn't do it exactly I that tells that... you something right there about space yeah if the same is true as above below then who got to go to space if they couldn't energetically conform themselves to the frequencies or is that space or lack of this is why this is why there are portals all over the world in various places i've been to a couple and there are entry points into what you would call inner earth which in fact is entry points into another world another dimension and some of those are water portals this is this is like you know what is it the stargate atlantis um your frequency will dictate your ability to pass through into these realms because that's what they are there are people who have walked into forests who literally disappear 
they're not found again. They yes. may reappear later. I've told the story about memories of navigating underground using magnetic grids to navigate. No maps, no GPS, no visible signs. This actually was done by the indigenous people as well. They're very familiar with what we would call underground labyrinth systems to navigate for hundreds of miles, but you could navigate hundreds of miles underground in a matter of maybe one-tenth that distance because of certain energetic aspects that go on underneath the earth. And the fact that not only does distance change, time and gravity as well change. So, yeah, well, I mean, what he's talking about in these books, and when I was reading this book, the whole, it's like entire pages are almost highlighted. I'm just going, and highlighting stuff because I'm going, yes, yes, finally, somebody wrote this, somebody gets this. This is like stuff I've been seeing, stuff I've been thinking, stuff I've been talking about on shows. And it's like Radu Sinemar writes this stuff up from what we can just say as a first person perspective as an experiencer. And it's being put out as fiction because as far as the world's concerned, it is fiction. I need to get into some Radu. Yes, and I put links in chat to those interviews and his books on Amazon. I also put them in the show notes. So. Will you put them in our personal chat, Jerry, in Discord? Why, of course, Nish. One. Thank you, darling. <laughs> Discord, there's a world I have not entered much at all. I actually have a Discord server, and I still don't understand it. Um, that's kind of like a portal system I can't navigate or something. It's just it's a giant chat server. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, you know what? It's it's all right as far as I mean, it's like a social media platform essentially yeah, to me. It, I don't know. You you know, it's got like everything. It's got its ups and downs. <laughs> yes, but the cruising with steak Discord is definitely the best. <laughs> I love those shows. That's They're a hilarious. Pleasure of mine to go listening listen to a cruising with steak show. I post them all on my personal channel, so yeah. You put them on Nox No, I don't. You put them. I mean, Vox's Nocte. No, I don't. You used to on the, appearances. There's that's just a playlist of links. They're not there. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Because well, I do appear on that show, so I mean, it is right, technically right. an appearance. Yeah, I get a peer. You're like a member. <laughs> what are you talking about? Cruising with steak and Jer. <laughs> so anyway, so it's at like that that time period. If no one has questions, yeah. I did, someone wanted another question, but I'm not going to real ask you offline about that. And that's about it. So, uh, Randy, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, coming up shows or new work that we should look forward to or yeah we're actually just ramping up into this year and um and so there's shows coming i don't have anything to announce the eye of the noodle series um is on our patreon page some excerpts of some shows will be released publicly but the bulk of it right now is for the people who are our patrons on patreon and that's patreon.com forward slash off planet media. Um, 
And the idea behind that is largely right now, that audience is kind of a test bed for this material. And it's a feedback for what I, we are doing in that group. But, um, you know, we're just, we're just progressing. I mean, the, the, the YouTube channels out there looking to get a new website going later in the year that maybe we can abandon Patreon and go to some sane system of uh, both being supported and at the same time not being forced to deal with um, third-party payment systems and unnecessary usury on the part of the people that are sponsoring the site. But uh, that's the world we live in. It's a world that still requires money. I thought um, Jordan Peterson was starting something up like that. Yeah, I mean, look, I gave away for 10 years. I mean, we lived, Off Planet Radio began in 2009 as Exotica and transitioned in 2010 into Off Planet Radio. I just shoveled the stuff out for like a decade and didn't worry about it. Um, we're in a different time now. And I appreciate that people want to support us. And I also appreciate that some people don't have money and it sucks. It's, you know, this is the great juggernaut of our time is to figure out how we function economically in equity with each other. And I think that's, that's really a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 I mean, I just stutter over all of it. It's, We'll figure it out. I'm liking the idea of the new voice.com that is off. Uh, it's in beta right now and it's on the EOS platform and I'm loving it. It's, it's, it's feeling like a good, it's feeling like a solid, like the best of everything he's done, like steam it. And I don't know. It's I can't looking, keep up anymore. This one's looking good. I'm not a big lover of D Live, like everyone's liking. It's like yeah. a video game and bit shoe and all that. I mean, I I try everything out, but yeah. but until those guys are available on like Roku or yeah. smart TVs, they're not going to get any kind of traction. Well, yeah. Voice.com's in beta right now, but it is really promising, seriously. And so, and it's set up with that open source mentality that Steam it was. So. I've sort of lamented the fact that we moved away from, and this is true of the tech industry generally. The tech, a lot of people don't realize that the tech industry at one time was very countercultural and very much dreamers and idealists who thought the technology, they thought of technology as liberation. And I just saw this, I think it was Todd Runyon who was talking, he was in Silicon Valley at the time, saying about when the investment, investment bankers came in it became a much less interesting world. So like the money it's moves true. in and the idealism goes away, I would like to find a way to have idealism be able to be, be able to have a sustainable economy that doesn't rely on parasitism and, and the yes. type of uh, predatory behavior that we have now. Yeah. Everybody has, everybody has a right and a need to live in this world. Yes. Like I said, in equity, in terms of, that's a whole other subject, yeah. you know. The curse of the so, middleman. Yeah, I mean, it really goes into a utopian aspect of, uh, I think that all people are basically decent and hardworking and creative. And I think the trauma in this world has stifled it. And I think that the least creative and the least 
contributing members of society are actually those who sit at the highest echelons of it, that they're the parasites. They're the, that's exactly it. These are the ones sucking the lifeblood out of everything. The holy blood. <laughs> the rapid, all together. The, the, the sangreal. Well, this has, been, this has been a cool conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Randy. It's been awesome having you. Thank Guys, you. Guys, you're yeah. awesome. I love what you do. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. It's always so great to speak with you, Randy. It is just, you know, you're, you're, you're brethren, you're kin, Prussian. you're family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're family. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Thank sweet. you. Thank and you, everyone. You guys are awesome, too. Chat room was fun to read. Yep. Yeah. Hello, chat. I'm not in there, but hello. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you. Oh, by the way, this month, we're going to start doing two obelisks a month yes. on the full moon and the new moon. Yep. So, so we'll have one in two other. weeks. Yep. And we have uh, Craig Williams, who was our guest on Nox Monte a few weeks ago, is going to come back and talk about vedic astrology and tantra and all that cool stuff so that should be interesting so next week we have an oxmente be sure to tune in we'll be back on this channel because we're still banned from live streaming on our, <laughs> our, <laughs> our monetized channel <clears throat> so, yes i was bad it's my fault i agree i can... rebel rebel yeah <laughs> anyway thanks so much everyone we'll talk to you next week Bye bye goodbye